The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Pressure throws it to Eckler on the screen. He's got a block to the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. High pass. Did Williams make that catch? My goodness. Three for a first down. Herbert with time. Now running out of time. Throws on the run. Down the sideline. Caught in the end zone. Keenan Allen for the touchdowns. Throws, and again it's intercepted. And that's Asante Samuel. Here's another one. Oh, watch out. How did it feel when Derwin James absolutely powerbombed the f*** out of you on national television? You're listening to the Shock Therapy Podcast with Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alfers. And we're back with another episode of the Shock Therapy Podcast. I'm joining from my phone because I have no internet access anywhere. But hey, Zach, how was the Super Bowl? Super Bowl was fun. I mean, um, exactly what I expected. Two really great teams going after it. Um, you, and it started right off the bat. Um, that that Philly drive to open it up looked just effortless. And then things kind of just got harder and harder for them as the game went on. But such a back-and-forth game. I think the big, the biggest lead was, was a 10-point lead for Philly going into the half. Um, absolutely a, a really fun, entertaining Super Bowl, especially when I had no stakes in, t- in in the game itself, uh, wasn't really rooting for one team over the other. Just wanted a good football game, and that's exactly what we got. I thought we had a, a really good football game. Um, I had the opportunity to go across the street to my neighbors, watch the game from over there. I was cold. <laughs> it was a cold yeah. Super Bowl. It was cold outside, but it was a fun game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, you can't say enough. Like a guy just oh, comes man. through when you have to have it. It's it's kind of insane how good. That he, he is at this point in his career, what is it, five straight AFC uh, ch- uh, championship games? Like, that's not normal. He's not normal. I mean, five years as a starter, three trips to the Super Bowl, two rings, two MVPs. Um, and then on, on top of it, that, that duo with him and Andy Reid calling, you know, calling the shots there, that last drive uh, of – KC getting the ball tied with about five minutes left to just methodically drive down the field and no type of rush, give the ball back with eight seconds, not nearly enough for Jalen Hurts to, to pull that one off. Um, that that is just when when you're you when your quarterback is one of the best to ever play, and then you have Andy Reid on top of it, who's one of the best is gonna go down as one of the best coaches. As long as those two are together and they're healthy they're going to always be a, a threat in this league. And um, I'm, I'm sick and tired of talking about them every year, but you, you got to give them um, their, their props because they're absolutely fantastic at what they do. They are. I feel like they always play better from behind. Like, <laughs> I don't they're know what no it rush. is. They like to, to start off slow and they like to catch up. That's, that's their MO. That's their game plan. That's just how they do things. They kind of remind me of, of like the, the, the Warriors during their dynasty run where, they the Warriors, and that's the most frustrating thing as a Warrior fan watching those guys. They don't turn it on until they're down twenty, and then it's a minute, and they're up ten. It, it doesn't make any sense. The fact when they when they turn it on, and they decide to go after it. They are almost unstoppable. Um, you'd think that if the Chiefs 
kind of had that mentality, they'd be blowing guys out by, by 40 every week. Um, but it, it seems like they kind of relish in the, <laughs> you thought you had us, and then they come back and just do exactly what you thought they were going to do coming into the game. Um, they're really unreal. I, I don't know what it's going to take to to knock them off, um, but they're going to be competitive at, for a very, very long time. They are, and we're going to have to play them twice a year forever, it seems like. Um, I kind of want to get your thoughts. Like, who do you, do you – like, Patrick Mahomes is obviously the player of the game, but what did you think of Jalen Hurts, like, having an outstanding game on the ground, picking up first downs with his legs through the air? Yeah. I mean, nobody expected him to have the game that he did. That game, and then I think that's just a, a you know, accumulation of – the, or the culmination of all the work he put in in this season. Nobody thought Jalen Hurts was going to be an MVP candidate. He went from last season being middle-of-the-pack kind of quarterback to absolutely establishing himself as one of the top five guys in the league today. Um, he, he had a fantastic game. Uh, 304 yards passing. Um, another 70 yards. He was their, their leading rusher. Um, 70 yards on 15 carries. Three rushing touchdowns. Uh, the guy is absolutely dynamic. I, I think the difference is Jalen Hurts kind of had to do it himself. And I mean, Devontae Smith had 100 yards. A.J. Brown had 96 yards. Th those guys were balling out, but it really was Jalen Hurts creating for everybody. You look over at Patrick Mahomes, he had a, a super efficient game, but not a crazy game when you know it comes to the, the box score. Just 21 for 27 and for for his passes, attempts, and completions, which is extremely efficient, only 182 yards. Now, he did throw three touchdowns, did not turn the ball over. I think that's the big difference there. Jalen Hurts did have that fumble that turned into a, a, a touchdown for the Chiefs, which really kind of took the momentum out of Philly. It, it seemed like they were had, had everything going for him right before that turnover. Um, I just think Patrick Mahomes had a little more help. He, he had the defensive touchdown. He had Isaiah Pacheco, who was very, very efficient on 15 carries, 76 yards, over five yards a carry. Um, and then you got Travis Kelsey kind of whenever they needed a play, he was there. So I think he just kind of got a little more help um, as opposed to Jalen Hurts, who was doing almost everything for Philly. And I think that I think that's the big difference there. You, you, you saw a, a team come together around a great player as opposed to just one individual performance from, from Philly kind of standing out. You know, they did it in multiple ways, too. Like, it was a, it was a, a team win for sure, without a doubt. I mean, Kadarius yeah. Tony taking that that punt back all the way that, yeah. like that to, the, like, the inside the five-yard line, like, that was a huge momentum shift. That. They had the defensive touchdown, which was great. Um, and this was a high-scoring game. I mean, 38-35 is what you want to see in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, and it wasn't like it was just offenses going off. I mean, like you said, like, Patrick Mahomes only had 182 yards passing. He's thrown for four, almost 500 yards multiple times last year throughout his career. And they were able to get it done without leaning on him so heavily. Uh, they, defensively, like, it, it it was a big game for them. There was a lot of turnovers. There was some hitting. It started right away. Um, yeah. Right away. So it was nice to see a, a more complete game, even though it was high scoring. Part of the reason it was high scoring was because uh, of the special teams in the defense. So. It was it was a fun overall game. I'm glad both teams had fun, <laughs> and and it <laughs> yeah. was just it was an exciting game overall. It was it was. I enjoyed it all the way through, and I don't think the Chiefs took the lead until the very end. I think 
I, I didn't think that it really swung both directions. If I remember correctly, uh, the Eagles kind of got out to an early lead. It was like 14-0 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the, the, the Chiefs had a 28-27 lead. They went up 35-27 in the third, and then Philly came back, tied it, and then they won. So it wasn't till the fourth quarter that they, they got their first lead. So it, it really was back and forth. Um, I think an interesting point, and I think it kind of goes back to to Hurts just kind of having to do a little too much. Um, we talked coming into this game how dominant Philly's pass rush was, and it didn't really seem to bother Mahomes a whole lot. It didn't get him didn't get to didn't disrupt Mahomes as, as much as we were anticipating um I don't think they they only hit him a total of five times um Hertz was, was sacked twice himself so I, I think that that's a a big kind of, of just you know the most important after the the quarterback is getting after the quarterback and I thought the Chiefs d-line um did a little better job of, of that than than the Philly who came in was just red hot and just kind of got neutralized by that that KCO line. Yeah, that so and like, Mahomes is an absolute just uh, Houdini back there. Well, you saw uh, also the injury to his leg and him taking off at the end like that. That was that was insane. That he, was he's, insane. He's crazy. I don't get him. <laughs> I don't get it either. But then you saw during their uh, their parade that they were saying like zero sacks on the offensive line shirt. Um, the the defense, the Eagles defense, really had trouble to get to Patrick Mahomes, which was like a big benefit to them because you know one or two sacks that changes momentum greatly for the defense. Um, that that was that was big was the their ability to relieve the pressure on Patrick. That's what happens when you've got a great offensive line. That's why it's so important that the Chargers need to to continue to build uh, the offensive line because you see it like it's it's a it's a game changer for an offense to be able to rely heavily on the run game with a, a, a offensive line that can open up rushing lanes and then it keeps the quarterback healthy. So that's just that, that just was such huge. an important um, aspect. You mentioned the run game. Chiefs had 158 yards on the ground, averaging six yards a carry um, on, on just 26 carries. That That is so efficient. 26 carries to 27 passing attempts. That That is the 50-50 sweet spot. That is exactly what you, you want to model your offense around. And I think, you know, the the, the blessing here out of the curse is the, the Chargers play the Chiefs. They have their in their division. The model is laid out to be a dominant contender year in and year out. It, it's right there. It's right over in your division. You play them two times a, a year. You, you see it close up and personal. Um, I would do everything I can to just kind of model my roster creation um, or, uh, around what the Chiefs did. You know, th- there's a lot of talk and, and bashing on, on the Chiefs when they extended Patrick Mahomes to that super contract. He absolutely deserved it. And, and, and Herbert is going to get something in the same ballpark because he he he's not on Mahomes' level as far as like impacting playoff runs and Super Bowl wins, but he is still still a dynamic talent. He you, you can't deny that he is going to get a very big contract. Um, and so there's a lot of you know a lot of talk about that. That was a horrible contract. It's, it it really isn't when when that's the most important player you need to build around them. And the Chiefs have done a fantastic job of that for the last five years. Um, I would. Absolutely, if I'm the Chargers front office, uh, be taking notes. 
And then if you take a look at that that contract, I mean, at the time it seemed like a really high contract, but quarterbacks are now averaging already fifty million a year. He's a steal. His at contract point. was ten years, four hundred fifty million, and in and he's only in his second year on that deal. And in five years from now, you're going to be seeing quarterbacks signing sixty-five, seventy million dollars a year. So it's going to be a deal in the long run for them. Yeah, we're, I mean, it's going to happen this year. We're going to get a five hundred million dollar man. It, which is insane to talk about, um, but that's just the the nature of, of sports and contracts and how they kind of let everybody else, it, even if you're not even that much better, if you're signing after a guy, you're going to get more. Um, we're going to get a $500 million quarterback this year because there's a bunch of guys due for extensions. you got a bunch of free agents who kind of been floating, um, need a home. So, you know, Aaron Rodgers, what's going to happen with that? There's a lot of quarterbacks who need new homes. Um, and we're going to see some really, really ridiculous contracts get dealt out this offseason. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm interested to see how and when the Chargers create that cap space and kind of what they decide to do. Um, I actually had wrote yeah. an article of kind of all of our own internal free agents um, that we can go and take a look like after this. But any any closing remarks on the Super Bowl? Just can't wait till we see that powder blue, the best uh, jerseys need to be in the big game soon. Um, I'm, I'm holding on hope. You, you got to start somewhere. And I, I love the progression of, of the Chargers and just can't wait for the big game to have my favorite team in it. That's that's what all, all I'm going to say about it. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Chargers uh, 2022 season. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts. Um, we can just kind of go position by position. Uh, taking a look really first at quarterback Justin Herbert. I thought he played phenomenal, but I thought he lacked a lot of pieces around him to really excel. I mean, he still was like second in the league in passing yards this season. But overall, like it was it was a down year for Justin Herbert. Not all his fault. The rib injury, torn cartilage on his non-throwing shoulder. Um, yeah. What do you think that the Chargers need to do to be able to really – Kellen Moore to be able to get all the juice and squeeze everything you can out of Justin Herbert next season. I, I think it starts with consistency. This poor guy has, I don't think he even understands the word when it comes as you know, as a, a he, sorry. Um, this guy has been, you know, his entire career, just new, new offensive coordinators, um, going from his rookie year, not going to play. And then we stabbed Tyrod Taylor in the lung and he gets thrown in there. Um, now this year to where we're, he finally gets a full off season and then week two or very first drive his number one target goes down all the injuries on the offensive line. So all of this affects a, a young quarterback who is always having to kind of carry carry the baggage um, of just the inconsistencies across the board. Doesn't have a full defense. Doesn't have his number one pass rusher. Doesn't have a number one cornerback to help give him extra um, possessions. Remember we were talking in last offseason about this defense is going to give him so many extra opportunities that never really materialized because, you know, we were missing so many pieces throughout the year. And then once we got one back, we were missing another guy. So I, I think it starts with, consistency if we can get i don't know 10 games with our 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 stars playing all together uh, i think that's going to be super helpful for a young guy who 
every year is asked to do something else because of the injuries. Um, we had four games with four full games with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen healthy. Um, so I, I think it starts there. Get, get this strength and conditioning program in a, a way that people are able to play come Sundays. I, I know we were really excited for Staley coming in because he seemed that first year he had tremendous luck on the injury front. Um, and then it kind of just turned, we got really, really unlucky this season. So I, I think that's where it starts. Get everyone healthy, build around this core. Uh, Cause I like the core in, in house. I think it just needs a little, a couple more complimentary pieces here and there. Uh, but for the, for the most part, I, I think it starts with consistency. Get this guy some help consistently week in and week out, and he's going to make some amazing plays for you. So the Chargers scored 421 total points last season. Uh, that ranked 12th among all uh, teams in the NFL. The top two teams, the Chiefs and the Eagles, makes sense that they also find their way into the Super Bowl. 584 points, 581 points. So I think we need to be able to put up some points. We need to be able to to create some big leads early. Um, and yeah. that's something that we really kind of struggled to do. We played from behind quite a bit last year. Uh, we were real sluggish coming out of games. And then by the time we were picking things up in the fourth quarter, um, it was a little too little too late in a couple of those games. So I think a, a big emphasis is surrounding Justin Herbert with playmakers. Hopefully – they're healthy. Um, we'll see if Keenan Allen is back next season. I know there's a lot of speculation that he could be a cut candidate. Mm. It seems to be a very popular uh, topic right now among all Charger fans pretty much everywhere. But we need a speed threat. We need a more consistent run game. And we need to be healthy. And yeah. so you get a couple of those things and we're able to put up some more points. It is also notable, like, if you take a look across the first – seven teams in in points four you've got the chiefs the eagles the 49ers the cowboys the bills and the Bengals and the jaguars all those got teams made playoffs then you get into the vikings seahawks dolphins chargers the only team in the top 12 who didn't make the playoffs with the lions who came out really hot to end the year you got to be able to put up points defense is important don't get me wrong but there is a reason why the top teams in the NFL are scoring lots of points, even with some teams' inability to play defense, right? The Vikings actually allowed more points against them than they did scoring points, which is kind of interesting considering they had the second-best record in the NFC. Got to be able to put up points to be able to do that. You got to surround Justin Herbert with pieces. So I think that's got to be a really important aspect of this game. Score points. Got to score more. And I think you saw a really, really big regression um, from, you know, last season to this season with the Chargers' red zone efficiency. And I think that all stems from the fact that we really only had one threat throughout the year down there when things get tight. And it was Austin Eckler. I think he had a fantastic season. Um, but you need more options when there's only one guy to key in when when the field gets shrunk, when you have more defenders and you have less space to defend, um, it gets really hard. So I, I think not having your two top receivers consistently, that buys in that that really help or that really takes away from your efficiency. The lack of consistently being able to run the football, um, that's huge. 
Um, and then, you know, not having a guy like Donald Parham, who's an absolute red zone beast, um, him being injured throughout the year. I think that also uh, ties into all of it. So uh, got to score when you're close. Um, we, we, we efficiently moved the ball all year long. We were re- we were really up there in offensive yards, which makes which kind of just ma- angers you a little bit when you kind of look at the, the points that we scored off of those uh, drives. So. Got to punch it in when you're when you're in the red zone. And then, in terms of just running backs, I thought Austin Eckler played pretty well considering with the offensive line he had in front of them for a while there. Joshua Kelly seemed to have taken a step forward. Looks like a reliable RB two. We never got see um, Isaiah Spiller moving, um, and we did not get as much we were expecting out of Sony Michelle. Um, Sonny Michelle is no longer on the team, probably not going to be back next season. So I think we're running into next season with Austin Eckler, Joshua Kelly, and uh, Isaiah Spiller. And I'm really excited to see it, Kellen Moore get these pieces moving, get them going. But I'm seeing a lot of people talking about us taking Bijan Robinson out of Texas it's not happening. in the first round with the 21st overall pick. Do you think that he is – he may be in a crowded running back room where he may not even get any opportunities, um, if any, because Austin Eckler is still your RB1, and you've got to be able to figure out what you have in Isaiah Spiller. I mean, I, I like Joshua Kelly, but honestly, this is probably his last year next season. We've already got his replacement. What are your thoughts on Bijan Robinson? And overall, are you um, – confident in the running back room we have next year going in with just Eckler, Kelly, and Spiller? Uh, no, I, I am. Um, running back, and I say it, I say, I feel like I say it multiple times every time we come on this pod, uh, but running back is such a, a rhythm position. You you need carries to get into a rhythm, and without those, you're, you're not going to succeed at, at this level. Um, there's just not enough room on a roster for a guy like Bijan, who I think is an incredible talent. Wherever he lands, he's going to be really, really good. But Staley has shown that he does not rush his rookies, regardless of how talented they are. Um, it is always at, at their pace, which it, which kind of which may take away from you know team impact day one. But it's all about prolonging guys' careers, which I really respect. You saw it with Isaiah Spiller. I know he got injured, but he wasn't even he wasn't even on the radar for a, lo- a long time um, because he's not Staley's not going to rush him along. So I don't think you're going to see a guy even if we did go and get Bijan, it wouldn't be until like week four or five he started getting consistent snaps. Um, and so I, and I just don't think we have the, the the time to waste with getting another back up to speed. You got guys in-house right now who can do the job. They just need opportunities. I'm talking about Joshua Kelly. I'm talking about Isaiah Spiller. Um, we don't know what we got in those guys. And then I think another part of that equation, who Lombardi, uh, a part of the reason I think Lombardi um, lost his job is because he's not using the guys who we have effectively. And a guy like Gabe Neighbor, or not Gabe Neighbors, um, what is it? Horvath, Xander Horvath, scored our first touchdown. Xander Horvath. He was looking like a, just, you know, they're throwing him the ball, uh, using him as a lead runner, um, running the ball on fourth and ones. Um, he was a, a, a definitely 
a guy that I think Kellen Moore is going to take to the next level because he is different. He is just an absolutely great and uh, physically gifted athlete. Um, so you got a lot of guys. You got four guys who can help you out there. You're adding a fifth is just going to muddle things a little bit, and I just don't think we can afford that, especially with the lack of depth at other positions. You're not going to bring in a, a guy to lead a very talented or very uh, deep position group when, you know, we, we still don't even have healthy outside corners. We still don't have a, a viable pass rush option behind jo Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, which I think is much more important than a fifth running back. We're talking about a fifth running back. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I just don't see the value there. And, I mean, I really want to get Isaiah Spiller moving. We drafted him in the fourth round. That's a, a guy who's expected to become a contributor pretty quickly. If not last year, then he's definitely going to be called upon a little bit more next season because ideally he's your running back of the future, right? Uh, Austin Eckler is going to be a free agent next season, right? Are we going to pay Austin Eckler $10 million a year with a looming $500 million contract? That's going to be a hard, tough decision to make but much easier if Isaiah Spiller comes into his own. We can rely on him uh, as a, a player that can be a little more aggressive between the tackles, a uh, guy that can kind of push the chains forward. There's a lot of value in developing Isaiah Spiller now, and I feel like draft B. John Robinson, you're, you're already moving away from that. He could be a weapon. He was, a, he was a, a, a lot of analysts had him as a top three running back in the draft last year. He's a young yeah. 21, 22-year-old this season player that's got a lot of tread left on the tires. I mean, there's a lot. We didn't even play very many snaps last year. Looks like he played any carries last year. So He got how many carries? Snaps, 23 at running back. Pretty he crazy. had 23 snaps, 18 attempts wasn't even in the game plan from week to week you got to develop that guy right like you just got to so i yes. it just doesn't make sense to go and get Bijan robinson when i don't think that that position as is as important as getting another speed threat in the wide receiver room especially if king now has gone so it just doesn't make sense to get Bijan robinson unless you're moving to a heavy run first offense to me, it, it is the least necessary roster upgrade behind quarterback. Um, every other position on the, the offense, um, I, I, I'm going to take over running back at this point. Give me another receiver. Give me a tight end. Give me some. Uh, give me a, a new guard. Give me a plug-and-play guard. Give me some tackle depth. Um, give me a, you know, uh, um, I, I'm taking a... Corey Lindsley's replacement before I'm taking Austin Eckler's replacement. Um, that, that's just where I'm at. Moving on to the wide receiver room, the Chargers had six players with over 500 yards receiving. Mike Williams Pretty led crazy. the team in total yards with uh, 895 yards, four touchdowns. That's in 13 games. Uh, the team, the player that led the non-wide receiver, um, non-running back that led the team in receptions was Josh Palmer. 74 receptions, 799 yards, three touchdowns. Really, 
with so many injuries, Justin Herbert was forced to just uh, spread the ball around. But you're talking about Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, uh, Gerald Everett was in there. He ended up getting 664 yards, also potential cut candidate, and DeAndre Carter. Uh, of those, you got DeAndre Carter, who's hitting free agency. Keenan Allen is a potential cut candidate, and uh, the, uh, Gerald Everett is, is a potential cut candidate. So not all those guys are going to be here next year. Maybe. Um, and then you also got some other guys like Jalen Guyton, who's a free agent coming off an ACL injury. This wide receiver room could be totally revamped next season. The only guys that are really safe is Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, it could be a complete change. I wanted to get your thoughts on Keenan Allen first. What 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 is the way that you think that we go about his contract situation this coming season? Mm-hmm. And then – what are you trying to replace in the wide receiver room to, I guess, score more points is, is the kind of been the topic of this podcast right now. Yeah. Um, first, I, I, I think Keenan needs to stay. I think he just adds a level of, of he just, what he brings, I think is just the, the most, the hardest to replace. Um, I Consistency. Think that and what he does well is is separation when there's no separation to be had, right? Those contested catches where it's like, how did he get, how did he catch that ball? Um, it's all because Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen is a a magician of a route runner. Um, so I think I think you need that. You, you, it's very very hard to find guys who can tiptoe around defenders the way Keenan Allen does, and it just softens everything else up around him. He caught, he he demands so much attention. Um, I love the, the, the progression we saw of Mike Williams when he was healthy. I think Josh Palmer, he's coming along. Um, I think what, what, what we need is, is a, a, a guy similar to Austin Eckler who can take the ball five yards deep and house it wherever we are in the field. Um, and I think you kind of seen that those big plays kind of are less and less frequent for Austin Eckler because he's getting so many touches. Get another guy who can create his own play after the catch, um, and that's really, I think, going to take this this offense to the next level because we we got mismatches, we got contested catch guys, we have some really good route runners. I think that the biggest thing um, that we need is, um, if especially if DeAndre Carter's not coming back, because I think he he was the closest we had to a a a, a um, an effective player after the catch. Uh, we need some depth, and we need a guy who can hurt you on his feet, win the ball in his hands. In a way, I feel like DeAndre Carter was like a, a cheap man's Keenan Allen. Played primarily in the slot. I Wasn't thought he was fantastic. Get, I thought he played really, really well. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, he wasn't making guys miss and creating extra yards. He was a possession catch and fall down type of wide receiver. Um, and he may not be back next season. There's a lot of talk about Zay Jones or Zay Flowers from uh, Boston College being a potential target, Jalen Hyatt. Um, there's a lot of speedy wide receivers to be found in the back half of the first, early part of the second that might be able to fill that role. Keenan Allen has meant so much to this team. I think he wants to retire a Charger. I, I think he has he wants to, to break some more records. He's chasing Antonio Gates. But at the same time, 
slot wide receivers are the easiest to replace in the NFL because there's so many of them. You can replace them with big spots. You can replace them with speed guys. You can replace them with the Debo Samuel types that, you know, can run those bubble screens and go out. And Keenan Allen, I want him to stay, don't get me wrong, but I don't necessarily know what the value is at his price tag when we're already paying Mike Williams. You know, so like it's going to be a, a, a tough situation, but I think it's more easy to replace at least part of his production and see what you get in the draft, see what you get with a cheaper free agent like, I don't know, Juju Smith-Schuster, or there's a bunch of them. I don't want Juju. Um, I I like Juju, but he hasn't reached that 1,400-yard season. He played decently well with the Chiefs last season. But my point is you can replace at least part of his of Keenan Allen's production with a Juju-type player, a younger, uh, maybe more athletic at this point in his career uh, type of player at a fraction of that cost. And you can take that $10 million savings and spread it around elsewhere on the offense, on both sides of the ball. So, you know, is Keenan Allen worth double the salary of a guy like Juju when this team needs that salary cap space? I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't see, I don't agree with, with that comparison. I, I do hear you where you say, just the, the production from that level is, is is replaceable. There's so many great receivers coming in this year. It seems like the the, the most consistent production of, of NFL talent right now in college is, is at the receiver position. Um, every year you got a group of top five guys, and then you guys you got a guy you got multiple guys that go in the second third round that surprise people. Um, it, it seems like every year we're getting a new great crop of, of receivers um still keenan allen's the best route runner in the league there's nobody on his level i think that alone he's a leader um i don't think we can really afford to lose his leadership his the energy he brings he's a huge energy guy he's always hyping up his team um i think we need we need more of that and uh, I think going away from he brings he he impacts the game beyond just the, the box score beyond just the slot receiver position. That's a that is a a leader. Um, so I, I think that is a, a another part to keep to consider uh, when you got a young team um, trying to compete with the likes of the Chiefs as a Super Bowl contenders. You can't you can't afford to to lose a, a leader like Keenan Allen, um, even if oh what's going on. Well, looks like we lost Tyler for a second. Can I? Here we go. He's back. Sorry so, about that. No, it's it's StreamYard doesn't like your Keenan Allen take. That's why I had to boot you. <laughs> That's totally fair. I get it, and I like I said, I want Keenan Allen to stay, but I just it's it's tough pill to swallow and I don't know if it's the right kind of medicine so let's move on to the offensive line uh, across the board I thought that there's some players that played very very well Trey Pipkins had a really great year um, uh, our left tackle that took over for Rayshon Slater whose name Jamari is escaping Sawyer. me Jamari Sawyer Jamari Sawyer was very impressive as a rookie taking over the left tackle position 
I think he graded out as the best rookie offensive tackle in this class last year. But then there's some other players who didn't play up to par. Matt Filer was graded. He allowed the ninth most pressures in the NFL last season with 40. Um, the only who was a starter who was worse really was like Ed Ingram, who was a rookie in Minnesota. Dylan Parham, another rookie. Uh, Ezra Cleveland in his second year. Just not something you would expect for a player who's in his ninth year this season. Um, if there's one player that I'm looking to replace, no matter what, it's Matt Filer, just because I feel like we need to upgrade at that position. He's been known mm-hmm. to give interior pressure. Uh, he's not the most athletic guy to get out in screens. And he's probably the first guy I'm looking to replace with Jamari Sawyer, knowing Rayshon Slater's coming back. Uh, I also think there's potential that you can move Slayer to right tackle. It really just depends on what you want to do. Uh, I think Trey Pipkins would be great to come back. I wouldn't be opposed to drafting his replacement in the event that he thinks he can go get more money elsewhere, and he may be able to. There's not many um, There's not many offensive tackles in the NFL at his age that are going to come at kind of the price range he's going to come at. Uh, I think that his first three years was very underwhelming and that's going to bring his price tag down, even though he had probably the best year of his career um, last season. What are your thoughts on the offensive line? Um, I didn't even talk really about Corey Lindsley just because, you know, he was in and out. He was kind of quiet this year. Um, And the offense overall really struggled to open up running lanes in his lanes, uh, left or right A-B gap, you know, in those areas. what are your thoughts on the offensive line? Where does this team need to go to improve at this specific um, position group? Yeah, um, that, that's a tough question to answer. I think that the, the where you got to start is health. Um, whenever you have an offensive line who's missing their best player um, all season, that, that's obviously going to hinder your performance and your production. Um, Rayshon Slater coming back, that is going to be huge. He, he is a, a superstar in the making if he's not already established himself. Um, I can't wait to see that guy come back because he's such he, he is just an old school tackle, wants to punch people in the mouth, doesn't really have uh, a weakness, neutralizes guys like Chase Young and, and, and all these great pass rushers we have in this league. Uh, Rayshon Slater can do whatever he wants with them. Um, on, on the other side, Trey Pipkins, I thought we had a, a, a great year from him, was a guy who we needed to step up, and he did, um, just didn't allow to to gel with his guys because, you know, people were coming in and out of the lineup. Um, I'll start from the center, and then I'll work my way out to the guards. But um, I, don't, I think Corey Lindsley, even when he was healthy or when, when he was playing, um, don't think he was 100% healthy all year. I think you kind of saw – one of his worst seasons, I think, of his career, and I think he'd, he'd probably agree with us. Um, so I think he needs to step up. I would love to get another guy back there. Um, I don't think, from what I've seen of Will Clapp, I, I don't think he's going to figure it out. So I'd love to see some... some uh, I don't think new... he's going to be back anyways being a Joe Lombardi guy. Yeah, I, I just I think he's gone. Um, I just don't... I didn't see enough there, and um, it's such an important position that 
and with where Corey is at at his um age with those injuries that he was dealing with last year, I think you need to get another center in, in house. Um, I really like the guard depth beyond just Filer. I think Filer needs to go. Um, uh, he he's he's getting up there, and he just fell off a, an absolutely st- the steepest of cliffs. Um, there's a lot of bashing on on Zion Johnson, which I think is literally just the Rayshon Slater effect. People were expecting, oh, a rookie offensive lineman who had a great career. He's going to be an, an all-pro year one. Rayshon Slater, and that's why we were calling for the parade. That doesn't happen a lot, or if ever. Um, a guy coming in from, from college into the NFL and, and – and, Day one being an impact um, that that does that's not normal. Zion Johnson, I think, played good. He had some down moments. He's building. He's a young he's a young guy. He's gonna get it figured out. Um, Jamari Sawyer, I think, is going to be the left guard of the future. I think he he he's a he's amazing and super versatile. It, it it's guys like that who build out and really who fill out an offensive line. So I'm I'm excited for all of their potential um, just need to get, I think some, some added depth pieces and need to get those guys healthy. And so they can start gelling. They can start pushing guys around and, and fill, opening up some holes for what is no doubt going to be a, a much more productive run game uh, moving forward for the chargers. I'll also say this Zion Johnson was one of the best graded uh, offensive guards, rookie offensive guards. So, like, that's huge. You're talking about Cole Strange, uh, Spencer Buford, and then Zion Johnson right after him. Uh, Zion only allowed five sacks. There's there's guys that allowed 11 sacks, six sacks, um, a lot more pressures. As a, And he was a starter. Some of these guys didn't start the entire season like that. Um, so, overall, I thought, like, he played pretty well for a rookie. And that's kind of what you want to see. You want to see his development. And his trajectory going forward, and his trajectory is high. It's good. So yeah. I'm not really too concerned uh, with him. I think that we've got three stalwart pieces with Corey Lindsley, Zion Johnson in the future, and Rayshon Slater. And then you're also looking at, you know, um, Jamar Sawyer. We've got a couple good pieces on the offensive line. We need to build up the depth behind them. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to see what Kellen Moore is able to pull out of these players. Uh, let's move over toward the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk about pass rushers. Um, so we did lose Joey Bosa for a significant portion of the season. But overall, I thought that what we got out of Khalil Mack was way more than anybody was expecting. Um, yeah. And I think that it was huge having Kyle Van Noy be able to fill in uh, as a pass rusher. Um, but you also got a lot of consistency and just in terms of pass rush from other positions, Derwin James was able to go and get after the quarterback just about every time that he ended up blitzing. Um, Drew Tranquil turned into a really good blitzer as well. One of the highest graded pass rushers from the interior middle linebacker position. Even Kenneth Murray was able to like, there's a couple games really early on when Kenneth Murray was coming in through the A gap and putting a, a, a heavy shoulder and driving guards back into the lap of the quarterback wasn't able to get around them but uh, what you saw was somebody was a lot more aggressive overall you had morgan fox who came in uh on a one-year prove-it deal and he ended up proving it i think he's going to end up making 
you know, seven, eight, nine million dollars a year in this offseason coming up because he's still a young player. He's just like 27 years old, I want to say. Um, we ended up letting go with Jerry Tillery because his consistency from game to game just wasn't there. Uh, and we had Morgan Fox who just filled in for him. Yeah, I wish we would have got a little more pass rush productivity from um, Sebastian Joseph Day. Just didn't seem to really materialize. Uh, Austin Johnson was lost kind of right in the middle of the season. That kind of hurt. Uh, we didn't get the consistency from Chris Rump, who's going to be going into his third year. I think this is an area that we're probably looking to draft fairly early, if not this year, yeah. then definitely next year, because you've got um, some players getting a little bit older. Clil Mack, uh, we may not be getting, um, what's his name? Kyle Van Noy back. So I, I think that wasn't consistent enough. In, in the pass rush department, not getting as much pressure outside Khalil Mack. Um, and I think it's an area that, I mean, you look at the best teams, the best teams have three to four solid rotations as pass rush. You saw it with the Eagles last year. Um, and those teams that are able to get to the quarterback are very, very successful in the postseason. So I think it's an area that we do need to continue to build up. I thought we took a step forward last offseason, uh, filling out more of, the type of player that Brandon Staley wants for his defense, but we're not done there. Um, Kyle Vinoy was kind of a holdover. Doesn't Nobody knows if he's going to be back next season. 32, 33-year-old pass rushers are fairly affordable, but he's going to be able to go and draft in second or third round a guy that can um, take over once Khalil Mack is, is finished. Yeah. You need a rotation. The, the, the best – the best D lines they have, the, their success stems from the fact that it, you're not being able to game plan for one guy in one series. You're getting multiple fronts thrown at you, a bunch of different guys with a bunch of different uh, strengths coming after you. Um, and I kind of just model what I would like to see is us kind of model our defensive line um, off of what the Niners have done. They are consistently one of the best defenses in the league for the last decade. And they are always drafting defensive linemen. Uh, They never have too many. They just, you know, they traded DeForest Buckner in his prime. Like, that just tells you, like, where they're at with being able to produce talent at that level. You can never have too many. And if you do, well, then you trade DeForest Buckner and you get get guys in-house to help supplement the rest of the roster. So um, I think that needs to be an emphasis. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, two, three guys added to that room. I, I love the, the core, um, but everybody, especially at that position, is more effective when they don't have to take 50 snaps. Now, you got guys like Khalil and Joey when it's necessary. They're going to play that. But when you have the option of limiting those snaps to 20 to 30 and you have a bunch of guys and you're having consistency across those rotations and, and those substitution packages, um, that that's where you're going to see the most success. What were we talking about the, the Eagles last year? They had – or this last season, they had like eight guys with more than at six or more sacks. That that's absolutely insane, um, and I think we can we can get there. Just need need a couple more pieces, a little more focus on, on that position, which to me, after the quarterback right now, is the most important position. And then the run defense did not take the strides forward like we expected it to. No. Um, we were pretty atrocious at tackling just overall. Uh, 
Drew Tranquil missed 13% of his total tackle attempts. He had 14 oh. total missed attempts last season. Smaller linebacker. He's not your uh, your your big athletic type of linebacker who's going to go. He's, he's not he's a smaller, Lewis. athletic, better coverage type of linebacker. Um, even Derwin James missed the same percentage of uh, tackles. Um, and I think a lot of it is not, not consolidating and bringing guys closer to the backs. You're, they're, you're getting spread out and you're getting forced to make one-on-one tackles, which is always difficult. Um, you know, starting at, at a young age, they, they teach you gang tackling, right? Um, you've got help outside, you know, force the ball back inside. And, and that was something that we kind of struggled to do throughout the season. Um, the missed tackle opportunities was just such a, a, a key reason why our run defense was as bad as it was last year uh, and the year before that. And I can't remember the last time we've had a good run defense. It's, it's been quite some time. I think part of it is just scheme, right? We play a light box, which is going to create a lot more of those opportunities uh, to be able to, to come up and make, you know, uh, one-on-one tackles, right? You got to come down with them. And it's a big reason why teams broke free quite a bit. There's a lot of, of long 20, 30 yard gains from, from running backs, opposing running backs. We have to get better at it. Um, and hopefully with a healthy, Joey Bosa, that'll limit some of it. Now, Joey Bosa, I think, is get outside of Joey Bosa. Joey comes in with such a powerful pass rush that he doesn't always play the run, and that creates opportunities to bounce things outside. But Chris Rumpf, just not a good um, run stuffer, just not his game. One of our better, like, better um, tacklers was actually uh, – Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray only missed uh, 10% of his tackles as compared to some guys that were missing 20. I mean, Khalil Mack was credited with 20% missed tackle rate. That's just unacceptable. We have to be able to make tackles. If if it, this is the scheme going forward, we got to get better at it. But how do you, and this is the difficult part, how do you practice that when so much football is now non-contact during the offseason? You know, that's, that's kind of how you used to get better was in practice you put on full pads and you go and tackle but we're not bringing guys down like that anymore and and you're seeing those missed tackle rates increase really across the league so we got to find a way to fix it uh and get better at it because it's just unacceptable for the number of missed opportunities that we have from that kind of part of the game plan yeah no absolutely um and i think a, a big help in, in that regard would be a consistent D end who's allowed, who's able and effectively able to force those runs inside. Um, I think Joey, when he, he is playing the run, he's good at that. Khalil Mack, I think is, is phenomenal at that being able to effectively set the edge, regardless of that be if he's getting after the passer or if it is a run play, I think he's very, very consistent in his technique. Um, I, I do agree with you that Joey kind of gets a little too slanted and, and quarterback oriented, but I think another adding another guy who a big, strong D end who's able to reset and, and force running backs inside. I think that's going to help us tremendously. I like what we have inside um, getting Austin Johnson back healthy up to speed. I think that's going to help. 
I think we saw a little bit of a regression from Sebastian Joseph Day going from uh, the Rams to to us. Um, I, I expect him to bounce back. I love what we have in the middle. Uh, wouldn't mind, you know, seeing a guy like Amin Amamiga or just like his stature, a bigger, more of a built in, in the mold of a Brian Erlacher or Ray Lewis, like the old school thumpers in the middle. Um, who, who else? Who did we get rid of recently who kind of felt Denzel Perriman? Like another physical guy up in the middle, I think would help. But I think before you you address that second level, you address the D tackle. You need to get a D end who who can um, keep things inside for you guys. Because as soon as it gets out of, of, of the edges, it's not really at this level something that you can put on on the DBs. They have so much to focus on themselves without not with, you know trying not to get beat and not letting up the big play. You can't really put it on them to keep keep contain um that's kind of all managing that pocket managing that space and i think that starts at D the dn position yeah so i think it it is high on our radar to draft not just for the pass rush productivity but what it does to the hey. run defense forcing the ball back inside it's such an important position and it's why those guys get paid the big bucks and i think that that's more important at this point than um another pass rusher now uh, obviously we want them to be able to do both but you got guys, I think, who can get after the passer um, and all levels. You got Khalil. You got Joey Bosa. You mentioned um, Morgan Fox was an absolute stud in the middle, collapsing those pockets. Drew Tranquil, Kenneth Murray, Derwin James. A guy you didn't mention who got after the quarterback I thought pretty well was uh, Bryce Callahan out of the slot. So we got and, and Staley's creative enough to be able to create pressure. Um, what he what he's shown he has consistently not been able to do is stop the run, and I think there's a lot that goes into it he, he's really not as invested in stopping that as he probably should be at this point um but i i think what will help this defense tremendously is is a run stuffing edge rusher um the most the five most we'll move on to the secondary asante samuel jr was the fifth most targeted uh, cornerback in the NFL last season. He had a whole hundred total targets come his way. He allowed a reception on 56% of them. The only other player that was actually relatively close, James Bradbury, pro bowler, uh, Carlton Davis had 95. He allowed 54%. Um, overall, like Asante Samuel's really come into his own as one of the premier cornerbacks in his second year. And yeah. he's only getting better. They pick on him because he's small, but he's aggressive. And he wants yeah. the ball come his way. He wants that challenge. And he talks about it over and over again. So it was interesting to see teams target him so often when he just wasn't allowing reception. It was a big reason why the Chargers played as well as they did in the secondary. Another player, Michael Davis, allowed 50% reception rate. That was huge. He looks like a, a top 15 corner easily, if not better. And he kind of gets overlooked quite a bit. I don't see any way, shape, or form we let him go because, yeah. one, we don't know what J.C. Jackson's health is. We also don't know what his confidence level is coming off last season. It really took – he did not look good in the five games that he was available for us last season. He was letting things get deep behind him. Uh, he was missing tackles. And he just – once that that surgery in his ankle was done, uh, it, it seemed to accept all the confidence from him. And he ended up coming out with a really terrible knee injury that likely probably not going to be ready for starting camp. 
uh, training camp and potentially not at the beginning of the regular season. So he's out for the foreseeable future. And I feel like the contract that we have Michael Davis on, I think he's going to make like $9 million against the cap next year. That realistically, that's a steal. So we have to hold on to him. Um, You talked a little bit about Bryce Callahan. I did some research. If you go and check out my article on uh, defensive or internal defensive free agents, there's not very many slot corners over the age of 30 making more than a couple million dollars a year. So he is going to be affordable. I thought he, he played himself into a better contract. I think the age factor and the fact that he is primarily a slot corner works against him. He's not following wide receiver ones around the league. He's going to be affordable. And I think that we have potential to be able to just run it back with the same secondary group we had last year. The only player not being in that is probably going to be Nasir Adderley. Um, Safeties who are 26 years old, who are entering the prime prime of their career with starting experience, they get paid. And I think Nasir Adderley is going to get overpaid. I thought he was a lot more consistent overall. But in the grand scheme of things, I think Aloe Gilman is going to be able to fill that position really well because I thought he played really well for his last year. And I think Nasir Adderley is just going to make a lot more money than what he probably should based off of what we've seen the last four years from him. And then obviously Derwin James, heart and soul of this defense. I don't really got to go too in-depth talking about DJ. Uh, I think we all know what he's capable of. Some of the hard hits last year, uh, turning. <laughs> he's in our um, he's in our the power bomb. The intro video. So the power bomb, the huge hit in one of the final games of the season. Can't remember who he just took out. I think it was the Colts. Yeah. He's just a phenomenal player. I think that we realistically should just run it back with the same exact group we got minus and Sierra Adderley, because I thought overall the secondary played exceptionally well for most of the season. No, I, I agree with that. I think it was our, our most, consistent position group um across the board you know maybe beyond after quarterback um but i thought it was our, our deepest um one of our most productive position groups even without jc jackson love to see what what this guy could bring to this table um but i i absolutely love what staley has done these last couple of years just bringing so many guys and i think you saw it it as a big part of why our special teams was so good was those, those young guys like Dean Leonard, uh, Raheem Lane. Um, we got so many young guys coming up. Um, JT Woods wasn't a, a, a starter on defense, but he was contributing on, on special teams. And I think a, a reason why we are okay letting Nas go at this point is in in his substitution role, Alomi, I think Alohi Gilman had the best season of his career. There's just so much depth there. When you got a guy like Derwin James who can handle so many hats, handle so many roles, that's going to make life a lot easier for guys. Um, but with ju- just him and the the outside guys with Asante and Mike Davis, you saw so much consistency from them. Um, and so I, I think you have to run it back. It you have to run it back just because of what they get. They gave you. It's not broke at this point. Maybe some. Maybe another guy to uh, at the safety position just in case Alomi Gilman kind of regresses and JT Woods doesn't isn't able to take that next step. Uh, but that's the only 
but I'm doing that as an undrafted guy, maybe like a, a very low risk uh, free agent. But I don't think you need to, to address that room a whole lot, especially potential of JC Jackson coming back and being able to make an impact like we are familiar with Mr. INT doing. So one of the last things I kind of want to point out with the secondary. So Michael Davis uh, was third in the league in total pass breakups, and he wasn't even a starter every game last year. Uh, the team, the guys that are ranked above him had easily two to 400 more total snaps. He ended up finishing the season with uh, 13 pass, 12 pass breakups. And then sixth on that list is Asante Samuel with 11 himself. So for that, our secondary being able to get in and, and challenge guys uh, at the, the catch point, we were very, very successful with it. And then we get JC Jackson in a healthy year. You know, if he comes in returns to form, I mean, you got a legion of boom type of secondary there that is just going to give people fits. Michael Davis is also 6'2". He's like 215 pounds. Like, he's a big corner. and Fast, too. I, fast, and I would love to see Michael Davis on the outside with J.C. Jackson at his prime J.C. Jackson level with Asante Samuel playing in the slot, and you've got a really dangerous – three there so we'll end up seeing what happens to that i think we can close this out with our kicking competition <laughs> again it seems like every year we have something going on there yeah. deandre hopkins uh not deandre hopkins um dustin hopkins first name dustin hopkins and our cameron, uh, cameron dicker who just got a ring a situation to, to to talk about there what are we going with that we don't save a whole lot of cap by letting go of dustin hopkins I think one of the best case scenarios is you keep them both on the roster, you let them challenge each other in camp, and you make a decision where you go. I kind of want to go Cameron Dicker because I'm super stoked oh. about what he was able to do for us last year. And then we have to restate sign J.K. Scott. We'll see what ends up happening with DeAndre Carter. There is going to be a return, re, kick returner, punt returner um, starting position open. Uh, even if we don't, uh, even if we do resign DeAndre Carter, um, he was not good at returning kicks. He was good at returning punts. He was kind of up at the upper echelon of players in terms of that. But in terms of uh, his kick returner ability, we need somebody faster, more dynamic, uh, somebody that can make guys miss because Carter wasn't making guys miss. He was just being very efficient with the punts that he was – the opportunities he was given there. But we need a, a more of a deep threat. What are your thoughts on on the special teams units, and where do we go from here? Um, first, J.K. I think is the easiest part to start uh, start with. We fi we finally got, have a punter. Um, it seems like we've been playing punter roulette since um, what is his name? Um, Mike Ciphers. Ciphers. Um, haven't had a consistent player at that position and I, I absolutely loved what we saw from jk scott um the, his whole aesthetic is i think is pleasing I, I, and i think he's definitely coming back um the the tricky spot you're you're is, is that kicker position um i i like going cameron dicker just because of the age but Dustin Hopkins has never missed a, a kick for us in crunch time. Um, Cameron Dicker is coming off of his worst miss of his career in that that Jags game. Um, could have changed the all could have changed the entire outcome of that game. Um, we you know we might be be talking about a, a Chargers Super Bowl 
party right now um, if, if he didn't miss that kick. I, I'm, and I'm kind of just <laughs> getting way, way ahead of myself there. But um, it, he, he missed a really, really important kick the, the final game of the year. So curious to see how much that plays into it because if you just take that one kick out, he was phenomenally productive for us. I uh, don't think missed a, another I think he only missed like two kicks all year and that being one of them. So um, very interesting. I, I like your idea though about bringing them both in just because you, you want, you want competition there. You don't want anybody to feel safe. And if someone, if one of those guys can separate himself from the other, um, that's exactly what you want. And right now they're kind of just, they're, they're in the, they're on the same level to me. Um, there's pros and cons to both. And so um, I, and I it doesn't cost up. you almost anything. No, nah, let both- Bring him Let in him the battle training camp, and then right before the regular season, trade Dustin Hopkins away for a sixth round pick. I'll right? take it. Like get something for him, but don't cut him. I mean, you you want to push Cameron Dicker into that next level, and nothing builds character more than competition. So I like the idea of bringing them both. Don't cut Dustin Hopkins. There's no re- reason to give him somebody no. to to battle against. You're gonna cut them anyways. Then cut them in training camp because it's only gonna cost, you know, a million dollars or something like that. Yeah, I think it makes too much sense. I mean, and he's gonna Hopkins is gonna be able to challenge Dicker way more than any undrafted free agent or even like a, a rookie kicker that we we may may draft. So um, Dustin Hopkins has been through the ringer. He he's made big time kicks. He's made big time kicks for us. Um, so I, I love that idea of just letting those guys duke it out and let the best man win. Closing remarks, Zach. Um, it's officially basketball season now. I know I have my baseball hat on, but that's right around the corner, but I, yeah, I'm excited for, um, all-star weekend getting going tonight. I'm probably going to watch that excited for the three points contest and, and, and the dunk contest. I always think the NBA all-star the game itself, I'm not really in. I don't love any of the All Star games at this point, but the 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 other events, I think the uh, NBA has all the other professional leagues beat, and I'm really looking looking forward to that tonight. Manny Machado is opting out of his contract. Yeah, that. that's fine. I he needs he he deserves more money. So I I think I don't think I think that's just um I think that's just a formality. I think they're that core is going to be around for a long time they're, they're talking about it. I think the U Darvish was the first domino to fall. Now they're going to restructure Manny. And I think him opting out is just allowing them to kind of expedite that th- those talks. And so um, I'm expecting Manny to, to get a, a huge contract here soon. I feel like every time I, I open up my Apple news or something, the Padres are signing a new player. It's insane. They do, yeah. Uh, they just got a guy who won 12 games last year. In like, in like five years, they're they're going to go for a huge rebuild, and it's going to be terrible to see. But up until then, they are going to be I don't insanely know good for a long time. The, the the way this dude, Peter Seidler, is just dishing out his own personal money to make this team, I, I, I don't know. I think we're seeing a, a new era of small markets being able to compete. Um, and how do you compete if you're, if you're on a market like San Diego? You go and get – some of the best Put your players. money where your mouth is. And so I, I, and every step of the way that him and AJ Preller, the GM, they have talked about wanting to keep this core together. Um, and, and it's so far, it, it seems to happen. So I think you Darvish was the first domino. You're going to see Manny get his, and then they're going to extend Juan. And then there you go. You got 
you got a, an ace at the helm, you got a, a fantastic bullpen, and then you got three of the most dynamic hitters in Manny, Juan Soto, and Tatis is already there for until he's he's thirty. Um, if if he can, what get do you think about extending Darvish until he's forty two though? Uh, I'm fine with it because I'm fine with it because uh, people we got him in this we got him for the rest of his consistent years, um, and once he does fall off, there will be teams needy and willing to take a flyer on him just because of the the name and you know the Cy Youngs that he's won and the production that he that he has year in and year out. Um, so I, I think it is. I don't. I don't anticipate him playing in, in the brown and gold until he's forty. Um, but as soon as he steps off, that that is a a tradable um, contract. It's not like the Hosmer contract, which is just like don't touch it. Um, people will go and and, and seek him out um, if he does become available because because of the name and because of his production he's had his entire career. All right. Well, thanks for your thoughts, Zach. Uh, I'll go ahead and get this uploaded. We'll talk to you guys later. And we're out. Over and out. Whenever Zach pulls it up. I'm, I'm looking for it. Later. <laughs> <laughs>